Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Welcome to the very first podcast, Beyond the Fence Line, presented by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. I'm Chad Ellis, TALT's new CEO, and I'm absolutely delighted. Um, couldn't think of a better way to start this podcast series than when, with our very first guest, uh, Blair Fitzsimmons, TALT's founding CEO. Thank you uh, for joining us, Blair. Delighted to be here. Well, we're recording this podcast during your very first week out of the office. So how's this first week uh, being out of the office been for you? Well, I feel kind of like a, a civilian in their first week of being out of the military. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a combination of relief and uh, very busy catching up on life. But, uh, but all good. Miss you all. Miss you guys in the office. Uh, we miss you as well. So, you know, there's, there's just so much ground. I want to cover Blair and visit with you and pick your brain. And, and um, you know, I guess the best way really is to, to really kind of let's start, you know, from the beginning. And can you tell us, you know, how, how Talt came to be? Sure. Um, well, there, there had been rumblings about creating uh, Ag Land Trust for a number of years. Uh, at one point, Texas Wildlife Association brought in a group from Colorado uh, to talk to their members uh, at an annual convention. And then in um, 2005, uh, I was working at the time for American Farmland Trust, and we got a piece of legislation passed, um, now known as the Texas Farm and Ranchlands Conservation Program that would um, essentially created a grant program to buy conservation easements on agricultural lands. And I imagine we'll talk more about that later, but the folks that were involved in that, that, it, that had been a number of years, a number of sessions in coming, um, primarily because the agriculture community was not a real fan of conservation easements. And, um, so um, we got the legislation passed with the support of the major ag groups. Uh, it was nip and tuck. Um, but when it was all said and done um, and the ink had dried, the same folks that supported the passage of that legislation and the creation of that program came to me and said, would you help us explore the, the idea of creating uh, a land trust. Uh, we've got this state program that's set up to protect ag lands through conservation easements. Now we need an ag land trust to hold those easements. And um, at the same time that all this was happening, it all kind of happened together concurrently. Um, the Institute for Natural Resources, now known as the Natural Resource Institute, released the very first land trend study, which showed that Texas was losing its ag lands at one of the fastest rates in the country. And the primary driver for that land loss and fragmentation was a state tax, it still is. And so this group of folks who, you know, gosh, I think 10 years before we started this, most of them 
would have just been absolutely opposed to conservation easements. They, they wanted to explore this tool. They felt like we need more tools in the toolbox and we wanted to explore creating another tool, another option for landowners who were really up against the wall when it came to state taxes. <clears throat> and so we, we explored it. Uh, we created a steering committee. David Langford and I went to Montana, visited with the Partnership of Rangeland Trust folks to see how they do it. Um, took two years. It wasn't real successful at first. We had to go underground um, there for a while. But then we, uh, we incorporated in 2006 and seated the first board in 2007, and it was off to the races. Well, you know, thinking about that from, you know, providing, you know, this, you know, you talked about building this toolbox and, you know, providing tools for landowners to conserve their working lands for the future generation. You know, that's, that's really the heart and soul of TALT and what you built. And, you know, a conservation easement's, you know, one way to do that. So, so far, you know, TALT has over two dozen easements, and we know that there's a story behind each and every one of those. Um, can you really tell us or, you know, kind of share the story around the first easement TALT put together? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And gosh, thinking back on it, I think how far we've come. Our very first uh, conservation easement was with Clady Williams, um, known probably to a lot of your listeners here. He was a larger than life um, character, um, very active in Texas politics. He ran for governor at one point, um, but very well-known rancher. And um, he has uh, had, Clady has since passed away, but uh, he had two ranches in the Davis Mountains region of Texas and somehow they found us they had been working on a conservation easement with another land trust and they caught wind that uh, the Texas Ag Land Trust was uh, in place and so they called us oh probably mid-November right before Thanksgiving and said we want to do we want to do an easement on our two ranches in the in the Davis Mountains and by the way we need to get it done by year end and so uh, Steve Lewis and I flew out in his plane and we met with Clady at his kitchen table and he tried to persuade us to go on a, uh, a mountain climb. He was conditioning for, for a sheep hunt. And, uh, we kind of looked at our shoes and said, no, I don't think so. Uh, not really dressed for that. Um, but we left there and um, mind you, we have just, we don't even have our 501c3 yet. We had just seated the board in six months before that. I'm a contractor. I'm of counsel, if you will, to Ag Land Trust. And Steve and I leave the ranch, and we have a commitment from Clady to put it, uh, 75,000 acres under conservation easement. And it was a total dog catches car moment. Uh, Steve and I had to hustle back to the office and figure out, okay, we know we want to protect ag lands. We know we want to try to use a conservation easement. Now let's figure out how we do it. <laughs> what is 170H, by the way? Um, so anyway, it was fun. Clady was great to work with. He knew what he wanted. He was doing it for all the right reasons, for love of his ranches, um, love of family, and those ranches um, meant um, so much to him. And, and so it was a real honor 
to uh, to kick off the Ag Land Trust with uh, working with the Williams family, and they're still very close friends today and and uh, wonderful supporters of Talk. Yeah, I couldn't think of a better way to 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 start off Talk's success than with Clady and uh, what a you know just what a experience it had to be for you and and Steve. Um, on that he put one. us on the map, you know. Yeah, yeah. On the map. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, you really kind of made it sound, even though, you know, somewhat easy in a rush. Uh, you know, you had two months, I guess, basically to, to get it done. Um, but, you know, we really know that, you know, that that wasn't what really happened. You know, when we think about the time, you know, 15 years ago when you really were kind of, you know, even working uh, – you know, trying to build talk before you even got the 501c3 and stood it up. There was a lot of people that were suspicious around conservation easements. And, you know, how did you, how'd you deal with that? And how'd you get past um, some of those, the folks that just really didn't, you know, were at arm's, arm's reach? Yeah, it was a process. Um, you know, there was in those days, uh, a lot of um, rightly so suspicion about conservation easements. We didn't know a lot about them. Um, and we encountered a lot of opposition. Some of the strongest opposition came from my own family. Um, and the, what the founders of TALT, that steering committee that I talked about earlier, what they wanted to make sure was that TALT never tell anybody that they needed to do an easement, but that we be a source of information, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, just lay it out so that people could make up their own minds. Um, we have always been very clear that we never tell anybody to do an easement, that it's a voluntary tool, that it doesn't work for everybody, but if you're interested in it, we'll help you think through whether it's an appropriate tool for you, your family, and your land. And so what we found ourselves doing was spending most of our time in outreach and education, you know, holding workshops, writing articles, giving speeches, uh, consistently over the years, and I don't, you know, it's not quite that way anymore, but it's almost 50% uh, of our budget um, went to outreach and education. In some years, it was more like 75, 80%. And we, you know, it was a heavy lift. We had a lot of information to get out there. It always surprised me how many very um, astute, well-educated, connected attorneys um, had misconceptions about conservation easements. So it wasn't just landowners, it was attorneys, it was CPAs, it was people who, anybody who um, advised landowners, natural resource um, folks. It, we really, um, really tried to cover the waterfront. And I, mean, I think we did a good job. I, I really think that um, people now understand, have a much better understanding that of all those things that I just said, it's voluntary, it doesn't work for everybody, 
uh, it can be a wonderful tool to offset estate taxes um, or to keep a ranch whole and big when you're faced with future generations um, wanting to cart it up or other pressures. So it was, you know, it was a really important first step that, that we just had to take and that was, you know, get, get the information out there in a very non-threatening way so that people could make up their own minds if it worked for them or not. Yeah, I've, I bet through all of those conversations and miles that you put, you know, across the state um, and that outreach, you know, I bet you had a, you know, probably a few war stories to tell us about. Oh gosh, you know, it's, it's, some of them have receded into the background, but yeah, you know, I was um, shouted out of a workshop in Junction. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a rancher by background. That's how I got into this business. Um, Joseph, my husband and I, and our family ranch down on the Texas-Mexico border. So um, I think there were people who just felt like I was a traitor to my industry. I'd gone over to the dark side. I'd you know, was, was a communist. Um, and so, uh, got shouted out of a workshop injunction. Uh, I was up there with a lot of other land trusts and this, uh, woman cattle rancher got up and started yelling at me and all my other land trust friends hightailed it for the exit. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of things like that, um, got yelled at at the Capitol um by again other representatives of other ag groups but you know frankly chad um I, I, you know i don't think you're gonna have to face that I, I really think those those uh we've we've had those conversations in the past and they're done um and um you know it's time to move onward and upward yeah i appreciate you taking those challenges on and you know that's that's the, you know, one of many of the hard parts of a startup and especially on, um, you know, easements as a, you know, as a tool and, and it's, it's novel 15 years ago. And I think you've, you've done a marvelous job of, you know, articulating and, and bringing people, you know, meeting people where they are and, and, uh, you know, bringing us all together. You know, when we kind of think about, you know, it kind of, I guess, flows right back into educating you know, Texas, um, you know, again, this value of the wide open spaces is another prior priority of TALT. Um, can you tell us about, you know, some of the campaigns and the pushes you've had, you know, particularly uh, one you had a few years ago, no land, no water? Sure. Um, well, you know, it's always been really since TALT's inception, um, important in my mind to articulate why it's important to conserve Texas's working lands. You and I have talked about this a lot mm -hmm. and, um, and I know it's something um, front of mind for you, but the whole idea that privately owned working lands provide benefits that all Texans enjoy and this is a really important concept, a really important idea to communicate because our state is 97% privately owned. 
97% of the land base is privately owned. 84% of that is a farm or ranch. So if we're going to develop support for programs like the Farm and Ranch Lands Conservation Program, the State Easement Program, and for land trusts like Tech, like TALT and the other 29 that are working in this state, we need support from all those folks who don't own land. They need to understand why it's in their interest that we don't just carve it all up. So a um, number of years ago, the state was in a, in a pretty severe drought um, back in 2011. And the legislature was very focused on, on the drought, on funding funding to fund our water plan and, and that sort of thing. And the more I talked to people, the more I was struck how people just didn't realize that when it does rain in Texas, that rain falls predominantly on a farm or ranch somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, in spite of all the talking that all of us had done all these years, David Langford, my gosh, he's been out there beating the drums on this subject for probably 20, 30 years. And so about that time, one of our board members um, was able to get some donated billboard space for TALT. And she called me and she said, the good news is I've got this donated billboard space. The bad news is you're going to have to come up with a slogan that communicates land conservation to people who are driving by 70, 80 miles an hour. And so we thought about it and we came up with no land, no water. It just fit at the time, you know, the drought we were in, it helped communicate that, you know, you lose the land, you lose the water. And um, it, it turned out what was kind of just started as a billboard campaign became an overall public awareness campaign of that land water connection. And uh, it, we had a little fun with it, you know, because you could you could take it on no land, no water, no beer, no land, no water, right. no soccer. So um, it, it was fun. And then, you know, a couple of years later after that, we had too much water. We had a bunch of floods. So no land, no water became no land, too much water. But, <laughs> you know, all again in the same vein of private lands provide public benefits, be it water, clean air, wildlife habitat, food, fiber. Um, it's, it's in our best interest, it's for our quality of life as Texans that we don't plow it all up, carve it all up, pave it all over. So that's, that's how that came about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, I mean, when you sit back and think about it, you know, you, you think of kind of the quote from LBJ back in the, you know, mid forties where, you know, he said where soil and water conservation starts where the first raindrop falls. Right. I mean, it's exactly you know, we're 70 years later, we're, we're still promoting and still trying to, to do that outreach. And I think one of those areas is that, you know, it's really about the policy around, around those areas. And, you know, that's another major focus for TALT. Um, so what do you think are some of TALT's biggest achieve, achievements on the, on the policy front? Well, a couple um, that I'm very proud of, and, and I can't take uh, all the credit because it, you know, it definitely when it comes to policy takes a, takes a team. Um, TOLT was basically born of policy. You know, uh, I mentioned earlier 
that the um, we work together, Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers, Texas Wildlife Association, uh, Texas Farm Bureau, um, to get the Farm and Ranch Lands Conservation Program bill passed. And after that, those same leaders um, got interested in an ag land trust. So we were basically born of policy. Um, that mm -hmm. program was put in place, but it wasn't funded. Um, and it just kind of languished for a while. It was at the general land office and we uh, really wasn't a good fit there. And so each session we would go back, we would raise money to hire lobbyists, we would go back, make our case, think back to private lands, public benefits, we go to the legislature, mm -hmm. make our case for funding for the program and, and just session after session, nothing happened. And then finally, um, I wanna say it was in 2014, um, again, if, after our No Land, No Water campaign, um, Speaker Strauss asked us for an analysis of how much land do we have to protect in order to protect water resources. And we did analysis together with um, Roel Lopez at NRI, Natural Resources Institute. And um, so they put in for an appropriation request for, uh, I think their request was actually like 30 million Mm -hmm. um, got zeroed out in the process and we came out with two million, um, which was the first appropriation for the program and that's continued. It's now in Parks and Wildlife's budget. Um, we got the program moved to Parks and Wildlife in, at, at the same time. Um, so now it's, it's in their baseline budget. So that was a huge victory uh, because what that did in turn was enable us to use the federal conservation easement program which is offered through um, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, your old employer. Um, uh, and, and so we were, that required at the time a cash match, a non-federal cash match. And we were never able to use the program in Texas because we didn't have that cash match. So it gave us a little bit of money to use that cash match, but as you can imagine, the demand from all the 30 land trusts working in Texas just, you know, continued to accelerate. So our second real policy victory was then to go work with Chairman Conaway, um, the congressman from Midland who chaired the, the House Act Committee and work with, with um, Chairman Conaway and his wonderful staff to get the requirement for non-federal cash match removed. So we were able to accomplish that in the 2018 Farm Bill. Um, so um, that was a huge victory. So today we've got the twin programs. We've got the, the Farm and Ranchlands Conservation Program, which today has made 13 grants for about 3.5 million, protected 24,000 acres. And the, um, I don't know the stats on the, the recent Farm Bill applications, but that also has um, greatly accelerated. I know just from our own work at TALT, we see more and more landowners stepping up to apply to the federal program. So I think the combination of the two 
we're real are game changers for Texas and in the next several years you are likely to see a, a, a much greater demand for conservation easements in Texas so um, I just those were two significant policy victories and like I said uh, we had lots of help from lots of people Farm Bureau cattle raisers TWA all pitched in and helped um, as did some of the other ag groups, um, the members of the Texas Ag Council and the partnership of Rangeland Trust at the federal level. So it definitely takes a team to get these policy victories done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, kind of like you said, I mean, it, those those two policy, you know, in, in particular really helps meet TALT's mission really to conserve to conserve the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitat, and the natural resources. And like you said, there's there's no way you can do that without the partners and, and donors and other collaborators. Is there any more that you want to reflect and, and talk a, you know, a little bit about Tall's history with those, you know, all of those partners and donors? Well, it's it has been an amazing um, collaborative effort, um, beginning with the, the support of David Langford, who is, is such a well-respected leader in the conservation world in Texas. And he got behind it, and um, then it just started taking off. Um, Steve Lewis came in as our first board chair, um, both of them really taking a leap of faith on me. Um, and uh, our ability to, to get this new organization going. Definitely couldn't have done it without our partner organizations, Texas Wildlife Association, Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers, Texas Farm Bureau. Um, they provided uh, leadership, they provided those policy contacts, they provided financial support, they helped us back to the outreach and education, they helped us get the word out in their in their magazines um, and then of course our donor support we had uh, initial seed money from uh, the Meadows Foundation from the Leon Ramona Bass Foundation the Ewing Halsell Foundation all again you know we went to them with a with a concept with a baby idea no proven track record that we could do it and they took a leap of faith on us and forever we'll be grateful for that. Um, later came the Mitchell Foundation and Houston Endowment. Um, again, really key partners. I think if, you know, if I've learned anything through this, it is the power of partnership um, with your donors, uh, with your partners like the three organizations I mentioned, with key people like Andy Sampson, Carter Smith at, at Parks and Wildlife. Um, Carter, in fact, was uh, when we started, was the state director for the Nature Conservancy. And, you know, we mentioned the suspicion about conservation easements. And there were a lot of people that really didn't like the Nature Conservancy when we started. Um, I think that a lot of that's changed. But Carter, Carter recognized all that. He knew what the, what the issues were, but yet he was there um, behind me, helping me figure out what a conservation easement was, how to negotiate conservation easements. He put me in touch with donors. He was just an, a very, very gracious uh, partner and supporter. So, you know, lots of little steps like that along the way 
Chad. It's like, it's like so many things in life. You don't do it by yourself. It is definitely um, a collective effort. And um, there are many, many people who went in, um, whose efforts um, went into uh, creating TALT and um, for making sure that TALT was successful and continued today to be this uh, organization that you now take the, take the reins for. So. Yeah, it's exciting, you know, to me, you know, tall, I mean, it's definitely a, the relationship business. I mean, it's right. It's the sitting at the kitchen table, visiting with the, with the, the ranching family and helping them, you know, with pass on their heritage and legacy to, to all the partnerships. And uh, that's, that's what excites me as well. Is there any other lessons learned, you know, through that, those first 13 years? Uh. Yeah, I would say, you know, an important lesson is um, don't dare to be different. Uh, we were different. Mm -hmm. um, we were different from the rest of the Texas Land Trust community. There, you know, there are many, many great land trusts in Texas. Um, all of us are driven by our missions. We had a very specific mission, which was to be an ag land trust um, and to keep it simple. You know, um, I think our success in large part was because we had a simple concept and we executed, you know, that, that concept in a very rigorous, disciplined way. We didn't try to become something that we weren't. And um, it took a lot to stand up to folks who want us to be more than an ag land trust, especially when we started to get policy successes. And um, so, you know, dare to be different, but also stick to your guns, you know, and, and be different. Um, so that, you know, there are lots of lessons. I could, I could probably go on and on about that. Um, so many lessons along the way. But, you know, TALT will continue to evolve and there'll be new challenges and opportunities that come up. And um, I would just say, don't, don't uh, hesitate to innovate and be different. So on, you know, kind of build upon that. So what are some of your hopes for the future for TALT? Well, I, I, you know, it's, it's your show now, Chad, and yours and the boards. Um, my hope is to um, sit on my front porch at the ranch and read about all the fabulous successes that you're having um, and um, know that you'll continue to serve the needs of Texas landowners, whatever those may be, as they come up in the future. So um, I just look forward to seeing what great things you all do. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, we're looking forward to, to building upon your successes for sure. And when you kind of think about, you know, this portion of your career and your life journey, you know, what is it, what does it mean to you? Well, you know, I, I, I got into this business or I was motivated by um, two, two experiences, similar experiences, um, where um, as 
family, we lost part of a ranch um, to, you know, um, a, an expanding family, um, uh, family members having different ideas about what they wanted to do with the ranch, different goals. And there wasn't really a way, a mechanism in place to keep it all together. So um, if I had been able to help other families avoid that, um, what we all used to just take as, you know, for granted as an eventuality, um, then, you know, I feel in many ways that I got, I've done a good bit of my life's work helping other families uh, avoid that conflict and avoid losing a, a, a portion of, of a piece of property that you know, means almost as much as your you know offspring do so mm -hmm. um, so it's been a it's been a real honor um, and it's been a real blessing I've met so many fabulous conservation minded landowners out there who love their land and uh, that has been an inspiration and a blessing. Any kind of final advice for myself as you hand the reins over? Have fun. You know, this is fun. It really is a lot of fun and um, it, it, it gets going fast at times and feels like it's hard to keep up with, but just uh, never lose the joy in it. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a people business. It's all about people. It's all about relationships. And, uh, and then, it, you know, just have fun. Enjoy it. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt, you know, I, and I know you, you achieved this and it's, it's my goal, um, you know, is to, to wake up and, and say, you know, I had a career, but I never worked a day in my life. And, uh, and I, you know, it starts with, you know, having fun and enjoying it. And, uh, you know, with that, you know, to Blair's, I just really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, you know, all you've done for the working lands, the conservation, um, really also the articulating and the pr promoting the private land stewardship, you know, for the public benefits for, for all of Texans. Um, it's, it's, uh, you're, truly an inspiration and um you know uh, the bad you know the the bad thing you're always told in a career you never want to follow behind someone that's good and and so i'm breaking that that <laughs> that rule and uh but it's a true honor to to um to just you know come in behind you and and to to be able to have the ability to just build upon your success. And, and I know myself and the staff, I mean, we're all excited to build upon, upon all of your successes and more importantly, kind of build upon your legacy. And uh, thank you again. Well, thank you, Chad. You're the perfect person for this point in time. Um, you uh, have uh, all the right experience and ingredients and understanding of working lands to be able to take this to, to new heights. And, and as I said, I, I look forward to sitting back and seeing all the great things that, that you all, you and your team achieve. So thank you for this opportunity for me to have a, have a parting word.
Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again. And I hope everyone, you know, has really enjoyed our the conversation with Blair as much as I did. And our next Beyond the Fence Line podcast will be with Dr. Roel Lopez, the director for the Texas A&M Natural Resource Institute. And Roel and I are going to, you know, sit down and visit really about some of his research over the land trends and the demographics and how this frag fragmentation is affecting and impacting Texas. Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.